I'm a cradle Lutheran, and I started learning about Jesus from the time I was born. But I didn't have a personal experience with Jesus Christ until I was in my very first week of college during two-a-day football practices. That'll get you converted. And I cried out to the Lord. And so I want to say to you, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord and he will hear you. All right, you guys ready? We are going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, if, you're, if you're available at other Bible studies, I think she told you Wednesday mornings we study Hebrews and Thursday nights we study Revelation. And it's just Bible studies, but not this week. Mama and I are going to Spokane. Yeah, go ahead and give, yeah, you, yeah, that's right, where we met, going to Spokane and with the same folks, be with them, and uh, we will be back in time for next weekend. So, I tell people all the time, I preach through the Bible so you can't avoid any texts. Probably you would not, you would not just say, hey, I think I'll preach on slaves and masters this week. Probably you wouldn't do that. But if you preach through your Bible, you're gonna run into things. And this week, we run into the text about slaves and masters. So let's talk about Christianity and social power. A few things to remember as we get started. Number one, the apostolic church was not made up of people with significant social standing. Most of them had no position, meaning preaching to the apostolic church about slaves and masters would not sound the same as preaching to the church today. And so there's an there's a actual occasion behind it. It was not made up of people with lofty authority. Most of them were acquainted with being lowly and even humiliated by those who were in authority. After all, Jesus was killed by those in authority and his apostles, every one of them, suffered similar fate. The apostolic church was not made up of people with economic advantage. Most of them were poor. However, as you will find out, some of them, we're masters, and they have to be taught. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Just imagine this. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bond servant or whether he is free. 
I love the fact that almost every one of the apostles described themselves at one time or another as the bond servant of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that in the Bible, there is a, there is a place where if you had become a slave, and most of the times in the most ancient world and in the Hebrew context, if you became a slave, it was in order to pay off some debt. And sometimes if you were a slave, you would become a willing bond servant. And so you would have a drill, you'd have a hole put in your ear, you'd have your ear pierced. In fact, the psalm that says, my ear have you pierced, is not talking about jewelry or cosmetics. It's talking about the willing surrender of a servant to the master to say, I want to be your servant forever. And that psalm is placed on the lips of Jesus, the ultimate bond servant of the Lord. I may, I may be on this for a couple of weeks. Slavery is as old as humanity and it crosses every nationality and it is not unique. In America, we have a, we have a, we do have a unique history. Nowhere on earth was slavery ended as it was ended in this country in the same manner. It's not rooted in your race. Slavery was founded in basically conquest in battle or indentured servitude because of debt. But mostly across the world, it was practiced as a response to um, being conquered in battle and the people you conquered, they became your slaves. The name slave comes from the Slavic people. It's the derivation, again, not associated with race, but with the practice itself. Slavery existed even at the time of the apostles. So understand, sometimes people would be converted who had slaves. And Paul, in addressing, remember I talked to you about a spirit-filled, he, he said be filled with the spirit. Then he talked about the spirit-filled family, which was a Christocentric family, and spirit-filled parenting, which was Christocentric parenting. Now he talks about Christocentric servitude. If you're in the position of a bond servant, and there were more Christians that were, at times and in some places then we're not. And in the Roman Empire, a very large percentage of the population was slaves. And slaves flooded to Christ. But, and so what did they do? 
They told him how to survive it. They said, bring Jesus into it. Respond to your master the way you're responding to Christ. This is an absolutely revolutionary concept. Nobody would give these instructions. He turns it over and he says, masters do the same to them. Stop threatening. Understand that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. People wonder sometimes why it's hard for us in the era of social reformation to understand an era where social reformation was not possible or in view or on the agenda, not in the way that we do it by law, but social reformation was in view by creating a new humanity. And he spent his whole letter to the Ephesians talking to them about the coming new humanity. Christianity makes you a new person. When it's made you a new person, you live in the state you're in, you live in the condition you're in, you live in the, in the way you are unto Jesus, unto Christ, with the fullness of Christ living in you, with the power of Jesus within your life. With an eye toward the long race we're running. When Barack Obama was president, he had a horrible moment he had to oversee when Dylan Roof, a white supremacist, walked into a black prayer meeting in South Carolina, Charleston, and murdered nine people. Obama captured it, captured the moment brilliantly. You know how he did it? He did it like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. He grabbed that old, that old song written by John Newton, a former slaver. John Newton, who himself was in servitude at one time, who had a very hard life, John Newton, who first had an experience with God when he called out to God in the midst of a storm and God heard his cry. John Newton, who went right on after he got heard by God because he didn't really get converted. He went right on and became a, a master of a slave ship and even made journeys as a slaver to Charleston, South Carolina. John Newton, who over time found his way to Jesus Christ. John Newton, who began to write hymns and wrote over 200 hymns. You probably only know that one. I think that, that hymn has had verses added to it by everybody who's ever breathed. Been sung at 
the deaths of presidents been sung all the time, but never more poignantly than when Obama picked it up for the moment to speak into the pain of the American experiment where our trying to get ourselves healed, we're still not healed. Hallelujah. You and I are called on right now. This is a seminal moment in our country's history. We're to be peacemakers at a time of torment, peacemakers at a time when, when, when old wounds are open, peacemakers at a time when the wrong words can, can, can build a fire that you can't put out and the wrong actions can create a storm that you can't quell. Old John Newton became an Anglican minister. John Newton, who partnered with William Wilberforce to put an end to the slave trade in England. How do I know that we still have a problem? Well, interesting. It's an interesting thing. Here's, here's how we know we have a problem. It's, a, it's, it's not a unique problem to America. You would think it would be. But when George Floyd died that gruesome and unjust death and the, and the protests broke out and then out of the protests came riots. Strangely enough, riots broke out in England. England does not have a history of, of, of slavery like ours. It did not have a history of ending slavery like ours. It, England does not have a history with Jim Crow laws like ours. England, uh, England does not have, does not have a, a history of, uh, of the war on drugs inordinately incarcerating blacks like our nation. But the impulse for the, for the racial unrest that was there broke out in England. They started tearing down statues in England. It didn't make any sense. Why is it? It's because this primal alienation that lives inside of us never wants to let loose. It can't be healed. It can't be healed by political action. Political action won't heal us. Only the gospel will. And that's why I'm going to keep making an appeal at the foot of Jesus' cross to the Jewish Savior the Jewish Savior, the one who came out of that Hebrew faith, which has that incredible book of Exodus in it, because God brought a nation out of slavery, not just once in their history, not just out of Egypt, but he brought them out of Babylon, and not just out of Babylon, but out of the other nations that had enslaved them. And so... The Christian gospel is incongruent with slavery. And sometimes the words of the Bible do not destroy it, but the gospel does. Because gospel people, William Wilberforce, gospel people, the, the evangelical impulse of putting an end to this vile thing. By the way, uh, chattel slavery ended all over the world a long time ago. 
But there's still a slavery in the world, folks. There's still a slavery. There may be more people enslaved right now on planet Earth than have ever been in the history of our world. Please don't forget it. Please don't forget it. When we're trying to deal with the racial wound, please don't forget. Every time you have an impulse about the racial wound, please understand that children all over the world are in forced labor that women and children all over the world and men are in sexual slavery, that people all over the world are in bondage to intimidation and fear and because of economics. And listen, we're not done. It's not done. We're not finished. The work is not over. Y'all all right? I hope you'll still... Listen, I'm like... I've told you how, how much I believe in God's sovereign hand when I start preaching a text and all of a sudden, like, here we go. We could, like, can we please just, like, maybe can we preach a happy sermon? <laughs> this stuff makes me happy, though, because the grace of God makes me happy. I grew up in the Jim Crow South. I haven't forgotten it, living through it. I haven't forgotten living through, seeing the breakthrough on of segregation, being converted about the time that changes were actually happening, getting the blinders off of my own eyes, where I saw my own role, my own complicity with what was unjust and wrong and beginning to try in whatever ways possible to say something when it was time to say something. Going to churches and being interviewed for staff positions and being asked about integration and removing my name from candidacy where it was a barrier. And you can't imagine the joy I have to stand here and look out over a church that's white and black and brown and whatever else mutt we are. Because it's only, listen, yeah, come on. Because because it's only in the vision. If you, want to, if you want things on earth to be as they are in heaven, remember it's every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue before him. This is the heavenly vision. This is, this is new Jerusalem. This is heaven come to earth. I've been so concerned that the politics of the recent times would undo what we've seen done. Let it not be so. But listen, we're the body of Christ and we can call each other out if we need to. So, right? You can call anybody out that you're not, that you're not wanting to divide from. You can call anyone out if you're reaching for the embrace. If you're trying to come closer instead of go farther away. Confrontation in the body of Christ, I tell you all the time, it has to be so. Hallelujah. You don't know, I may quit preaching in a minute. Jesus, help me. We've been going through this wonderful book of Ephesians. Look at this. Here's what we've learned in Christ. See, see, you have to understand, sometimes people think that Paul doesn't know his own gospel. He does, and I'm gonna show you before we're done. 
By the way, where was Paul when he wrote this letter? Prison. Don't forget it. In Christ, your race does not alienate you from God. Remember that in the first couple of chapters? In Christ, your gender singles you out for Christ-centered value. Special instructions on how you should be cared for. Your age offers you a protected status with fatherly care. In Christ. A man who's parenting his children in Christ is not a terror to them, but a covering. In Christ, your immutable characteristics are blessed and honored because he made us this way. It's all through the book. Read the book. Read it again. Go back and read the text again. Your alienation from God and the covenant is removed. Because you see, listen, it's the stain of sin that has alienated us from heaven. It's our connection to Adam. And I got news for you. In biblical understanding, no matter, your, no matter who you are in the flesh, your connection to Adam gave you a common alienation from God because as in Adam, all died. But in Christ, your alienation is removed and you're members of the commonwealth of Israel and invited into the family of God. In Christ, your debt is resolved. It's the cross of Christ. No debtors here. This is why we don't call ourselves. This is why sinner is not our identification. Saint is our identification. Yeah, I'm not foolish. We commit sin, but sinner is not my identification. I don't live at that address. Alan doesn't live here anymore. Your voice is empowered by the gifts of Christ. In Christ, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. In Christ, you have special enablements whereby the body is healed by your presence, by your touch, by your word, by your help. In Christ. Are you getting this? Then let's have it. I ain't done. Don't get too eager in Christ. Would you take the bread? If you have, would you take the bread? Because we're in Christ. When you're in Christ, you eat at the same table. Tonight, listen, this is the declaration. We are receiving Christ. We are receiving Christ. You say, I don't feel worthy. Good, that qualifies you. We are not qualified to receive him because of our worthiness, but because of his worthiness. This is the gospel. This is the good gospel. 
So I'm gonna tell you before you receive him, when you receive Jesus, your sins are forgiven. When you receive Jesus, your, your, your sins are laid on his body. When you receive Jesus, you have the guarantee that you will ultimately be healed. You will be healed of every disease when you receive Jesus. And so Jesus came to his disciples and he offered them bread. Remember who they were, by the way. Remember what this is. This is Passover. It's our Christ, our Passover lamb. Jesus died at Passover. It's the celebration of Passover. They ate a meal, a nation of slaves. And they ate a meal and went out free. The body of Christ is given for us. Let's receive it. They didn't drink the blood on the night of Passover. They removed the blood from the Passover lamb. They painted the blood on the, on the, on the doorposts. They walked through the bloody doorpost. It was, it was something that had been foreshadowed in the covenant with Abraham when God walked through the bloody parts of the animal on behalf of Abraham himself. They passed through and he passed over. And so Jesus says, it's time to drink blood. This is the new covenant in my blood, he said, which is shed for you. The blood of Christ, church, let's receive him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, you just on accident got yourself back with Jesus. Literally, please, please understand this. You say, well, what did I do? You just received the body and blood of Jesus. What does that mean? That means you just rededicated yourself to him. You say, well, I didn't mean to. Sorry, happened anyway. Because <laughs> I was telling you what it was and you took it. <laughs> I, it wasn't trickeration, it was truth. <laughs> I've always believed that it's in the communion that we come to Christ. It's in the communion that we come to Christ. And if there was any bit of unwillfulness in you, then get some willfulness before we're done. All right. Okay. Oh my goodness. I got some hesitation in me. Oh, please hear me. You got to hear me tonight. You got to hear me. You got to hear your pastor's heart. Oh. There's a, there's a, there is a secular
you're going to know, guys, I, I, I get up early in the morning, I stay up late at night, I, I read, I listen, I, I press myself in because I know there's something wrong, something bad wrong. And I'm going to tell you about it again tonight, like I did last week. But I'm not going to tell you about it because I want you to get mad. I, I don't want you to get mad. What do you want? Well, I'll show you before we're done. If you'll be patient. I do want you to be alert. Because all of you knows something is wrong. Every one of you knows there's something wrong. There is, a, there is a brand new spirit in the air and its goal is to divide us from one another. Its goal is not, to, is not to bring us back together, the seamless body of Christ, but it's to polarize us into camps and tribes and it's not to make one New Life City nation, one nation of God's people, but... To, to divide us into tribal camps of nations within our own nation. Yeah. It's frightening me. I'm, I'm, I'm literally alarmed. It has happened in our world before. It's happened on the right and it happens on the left. So hear me when I give this piece of the introduction. When your identity is not in Christ, but when your identity is in the flesh... You will not walk in the power of the gospel, but you will walk in the alienation of broken humanity. Now, at the same time, this is why this is so hard. This is why, this is why I'm like, I don't know how to get at it. There is a thing that needs to be set right that still is not right that makes a young man walk into a black prayer meeting and assassinate people who are seeking God because of their identity. So, so do you get me? Do you get me? We got to get healed of this thing. So I'm going to give you a warning. There's a new religion out. It's called identity politics. And, and it means just as I told you who you are in Christ, this thing tells you who you are in the flesh. Your race is your primary identification in identity politics. Your sexual identity, orientation, or gender is separates you from other people. It's not your common humanity, it's your... It's your distinct humanity that gives you a basis of protest. Your special status is determined by immutable characteristics. The Bible makes us one, one in Christ because we were one in the fall, one in grace because we were one in alienation. Your guilt and your innocence is ascribed according to your identity. This is where it gets really bad. Don't miss this. Dylan Roof walked into a group of people who had an identity different than his and he condemned them on their identity. 
If you do the reverse, it's the same thing. I didn't know how powerful this was until somebody told me recently, I'm just an old white guy. As a way of telling me, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Now listen, I'm too old and too mean and too tough to get my feelings hurt. But I'm also too smart to not know there's a demonic power in that spirit. We won't be healed by doing the equal and opposite. You don't get healed by blood vengeance. But by blood reconciliation. Your debt is unpaid and unpayable. This literally is actually said in seminars. And this is why I'm like, I'm on safe ground because I'm in Jesus, man. We're dealing with, we are dealing with, listen. <laughs> it's, oh, help me, Jesus. I just got to keep going because I got to get this out of me. Your stain is original sin, cannot be covered. Now, please hear me when I, when I entreat you. I'm entreating you as a, as, as a I'm, I'm entreating you. I'm not, I'm not, but, but listen, when Adam committed original sin, he covered himself. Sloganeering will not cover the America's original sin of racism. It won't do it. We can't, be, we, we can't put the fig leaf of a slogan on our, on our stain. It has to be done in the hard work of face-to-faceness, in the hard work of heart-to-heartness, in the hard work of, yeah, Hearing, and I'm going to say this now because your voice is determined by submission to these truths. It's not time to abandon your voice, but it is time to listen to other voices. It's time to listen to the voice of pain. I talk about this, and I, you don't know, man. I can, I can, I can, I can see the men who, when I was a boy in my youth, I can see the men who worked for minimum wage along beside me. I can hear their names. Shorty, John John, and Big Jack, and Rian, and Felton. I wouldn't leave out Felton. Men who raised me. Only white kid on an all-black work crew. Men who I didn't know how to honor in my youth. But I honor them by their names. I say their names and honor them to you tonight. They taught me to be a man. They taught me to bear hardness. They taught me to suffer. They taught me to overcome. They taught me to care for my family. Because I saw them do these things in hardship and difficulty. And I want their children's children to have a better world. So, so listen, 
I'm decrying the religion of identity politics, but I am not closing my ear to the cry for justice. As Charlie warned us, let us not get rid of a devil and just have worse devils come in. So now let's look at the gospel again. There's a book in the Bible. Before I'm done, I'm going to read it to you. It'll pretty much preach itself. There's a book in the Bible called Philemon. Or Philemon, or however the thing's supposed to be emphasized. It's one page. And it's, listen, if this was the only book of the Bible we had, we would understand Jesus. And we would understand what to do about this problem. And so, listen, so Paul, when he was speaking to the Ephesians, he was in prison. He's also in prison when he wrote this, as he'll tell you. He's in prison. So he's writing as a prisoner to slaves and masters. And now he's writing as a prisoner to a master about his slave. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that this sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Man, you want to get a Paul letter like that? Ain't nothing wrong with that. Accordingly, (laughs) though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you because love always has a choice. Submission doesn't always have a choice. Love always has a choice. I, Paul, an old man. Thank you, Paul. And now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child. Listen to who says, Onesimus. In case you don't know who he is, I'll tell you. He's a runaway slave. (laughs) Somehow he ran to Paul. whose father I became in my imprisonment. You can't go find somebody when you're you're in prison. They have to come find you. Don't you wish you knew the backstory on that one? (laughs) Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful. Guess what the name Onesimus means, Mama Gail? Take a guess. 
It means, what do you think? Useful. <laughs> it's not the same word as is used, but he uses a synonym of it. And he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I'm sending him back to you. Send him my very heart. <laughs> Good grief. I would have been glad to keep him with me. And who could blame him? How about this risk of the gospel? Sending this young man back who could be beaten, could be punished severely, could have his time in extended sending him back to you sending my very heart I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf <laughs> oh I'd love to hear this read out loud in, in this and see old Philemon hearing this for the first time serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. How are we going to heal this problem? Making choices of love. Making choices of self-sacrifice. Same way Jesus did on the cross. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bond servant. But much more than a bond servant. A beloved brother especially for me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. <laughs> Every time you hear an angry voice raised, just read Philemon and say, Jesus, what do I do? How do I be Paul? How do I be Onesimus? How do I be Philemon, in this moment. Because all the rest of our lives is going to be, who will you be in this moment? I tell you, the forces that are loosed in our culture are bigger than all of us, stronger than all of us, more, uh, more violent than we've ever imagined. And we are what Jesus has done about this hour. See, listen, I want you to know something. I can, I can help you to be angrier than you are. But it's not the gospel. And it's not the solution. Stand together. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything,
charge that to my account. The gospel is paying debts you don't owe. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you, <laughs> nothing of your owing to me, even your own self. In other words, before Paul led Onesimus to Jesus, he led Philemon to Jesus. That's why he can have confidence. I want you to know, Paul was not writing a letter uncertain. He was writing a letter and he said, no, I know him. And when he sees what I'll show him, his heart will open and you will have a brother for a master. By the way, the word master is the same word as Lord. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. This is the gospel.